Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, if it's your first time here, I'm Alvin. Glad you're here, lead pastor at the church. And uh, we are in our series, Fight Forward. It's a series for the month of May. Um, I'm excited for the, the installment that we have for today. But before we get into it, I would like to lead us in the declaration that we do before we get into the words. So repeat these words after me as you see them on the screen. It says, uh, say, the word of God is the bread of life. The word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so as you've heard already, it's Pentecost Sunday. It's the day that we celebrate the day of Pentecost. And it's a, it's a, a special day, but it's a day that a lot of people don't know about, including Christians. So if that's you, I'm glad you're here. Uh, essentially, they, uh, the day of Pentecost marks the 50th day after Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, obviously, in our culture, we celebrate Easter on the day that we celebrate it, so, um, which is kind of different every, every year. Um, but it's always like March, April-ish. And we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the day we celebrate Easter. And that's now. So today is that mark. It's crazy that it's been 50 days since Easter. Time is flying. But uh, historically, this, this is the day that really arguably launched the church. Many people credit the day of Pentecost as the launching of the church that we have today, the church, the body of Christ. Um, it was marked by a pretty significant event that often gets a lot of the talk, and that was the first time that people spoke in a language, in a tongue that was 100% empowered and given by the Holy Spirit. It had nothing to do with what they learned, had nothing to do with their native tongue. It was a completely new tongue that was given strictly by the Holy Spirit, or exclusively, I should say, by the Holy Spirit. Um, another thing that it was the first time that Peter preached this sermon that was so effective that over 3,000 people came to Christ in one morning. Um, so this was a major, major moment in history, but similar to the cross. You know how the cross happened on one day, but it's still being lived out today? The works of the cross are still just as effective on 2021 as it was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Just like the cross wasn't only an event, neither is the day of Pentecost. So it happened on a day, but the works of Pentecost are still happening today. I was nowhere around at all during the book of Acts. And here I am, 35 years old, and I'm experiencing this day as well. So this day is worthy of being acknowledged, but more so than acknowledged, it should be emulated. We should be emulating this day um, every day. And I think today is going to be a good one to do that. Um, we've got all the right elements. We've got people. We've got the Holy Spirit. We've got the gospel. I don't really see what's missing. Like, like, like Peter, I too have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I too speak in tongues. And here I am preaching the gospel. And here there are people. And if people could get, could get convicted back then and repent, I believe that people today can uh, be convicted and repent. So my prayer is that we kind of copy 
that day a little bit, and we're going to see what God's going to do. Uh, I'm, I'm excited. The key element on the day of Pentecost is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is really the star of this show today. He is the, 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 the element that really made this day greater than just any other day. And Jesus is a huge endorser of the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks very highly of the Holy Spirit. He says that the Holy Spirit, he, he's got a nickname for the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the promise. That's how much Jesus loves the Holy Spirit. He's like, this is the promise. This is the promise of my Father to you, to the believers, to the people. And he speaks of this promise. And when he was, before the Holy Spirit came on this day, he would sort of give little teasers about the Holy Spirit, little, little, little taste makers, little appetizers. And he would talk about the Holy Spirit to hopefully make the people very curious about this, this promise that's coming. And he said the Holy Spirit, he's your helper, he's your comforter, but he also says that he has a special superpower, and that is he brings conviction. And the, Jesus says the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of three things. He's going to convict the world of sin. He's the person that's going to actually make people realize that they're in sin and their sin in their lives, which is not a fun moment of realizing there's sin in your life, but the reason why we thank God for it is because it's not until you realize that there's sin in your life that you repent. And it's not until you repent that you actually can receive uh, uh, a, way, a way of escape from that sin. Until you repent, that sin will dominate over your life. That sin will uh, destroy you. Jesus says you will actually perish. You will perish if you don't repent. So the beautiful thing about conviction is conviction is the spark or the cut or the moment that inspires you to repent and therefore be saved from perishing. So conviction is a wonderful thing. It also convicts us of, of righteousness. It lets us know that righteousness, first of all, it exists, which in this day and age, sometimes we wonder if there is a such thing as righteousness, if there is a such thing as the right way, is there a such thing as truth? You know, the Holy Spirit convicts us that righteousness exists, and not only does it exist, but it exists through Jesus. And it makes us hungry for, for the right way. It makes us hungry for truth. And the second thing the Holy Spirit convicts us of is judgment. And it lets us know that sin has been defeated. Sin has been condemned. Sin has been judged. The enemy has been already sentenced to hell. So therefore, we don't have to fear the darkness overtaking us. We don't have to fear the addiction overtaking us. We don't have to fear our past overtaking us. Why? Because the Holy Spirit convicts us that that thing has been judged by God and sentenced to hell, and you are free to live in Christ. So the Holy Spirit is, and that's not even a quarter of what the Holy Spirit does. He does so many things. So Jesus was telling them, guys, there is this promise that's coming. And uh, conviction makes people want to repent. It makes them want to believe. And it, wanna, it makes them want to get baptized. So when the Holy Spirit came, and I'm going to go back and talk about it more, but essentially the promised Holy Spirit came just like Jesus predicted. And, and Peter, as well as at least 120 others, uh, were, were recipients of that Holy Spirit. So here's Peter. He receives this promise this promise that has the power to convict people, and he gets in front of a large town. I mean, imagine Broadway 
um, downtown, like tons of people in the middle of the city. And I don't know how he was amplified. I'm guessing they had to just do telephone and tell people. But he speaks. They must have been a pretty quiet audience. I don't know. They were, but somehow he was able to command the attention of an entire town square, essentially. All these people that were in town for a festival. And they all spoke different languages, which is another cool thing. But, uh, but he preaches, and he teaches the gospel. Jesus was buried. He was raised. We crucified him. He's, he's Lord. All, that, all the, the good gospel message. It's in uh, Acts. And, and he teaches it. And I'm, I'm getting to it because I want us to see the, the reaction, the, the reaction that came from this message that Peter preached under the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go Acts chapter 2, verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, the message that Peter preached, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart is another phrase for conviction. Convictions that... Ah, woo, he's talking to me. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And I want to stop here. I wasn't planning on stopping here, but I want to show us the difference between the cut of conviction versus the feeling of condemnation. Conviction is the kind of cut that makes you say, what do I need to do to turn this thing around? Condemnation is what makes you say, I give up. Condemnation is what puts a period to your sentence. It goes, I am the worst, period. Conviction goes, I am the worst, but I want to change. How can I change? So if you ever want to know the difference, they both cut, but one wants to end your race, and the other one wants to start your race. So they, they had conviction. The sign of it was, what do we do now? Now that you've found us, now that we are cut, what can we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Keyword, gift of the Holy Spirit. Whenever I'm talking to people and I can tell they don't want it right now or want the Holy Spirit, that's when I back off because ultimately, if you don't want it, it's not a gift. A gift has to be something that is desired. So if you don't want it yet, you just don't want it yet. Just, you got, you, you, something has to happen in your heart where you want to receive a gift because a gift that you don't want isn't, isn't a gift. Uh, it's like something else. Like it's gotta be positive you know it's there has to be a desire for it and my prayer is that through this message there is a desire so that you actually have the ability to see the holy spirit as a gift and not as something else um does that make sense it's the gift and guys for those of you who ever want to minister to it remember protect the gift of it protect the quality if, if you have to argue with someone for them to receive a gift don't bother it's not like i don't i don't want to fight you to give you a gift like so if you sense that, it's just, it's all right. Protect the gift, because otherwise it's going to be turned turn into something else. Uh, so I just want to give that tidbit. Um, so when the power of the Holy Spirit baptized Peter um, and the others, they were baptized in, in the form of, of, of fire, fiery tongues. 
Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a lot different than uh, the baptism that we think of. We think of baptism in like water. You're in a lake or you're in a pool or you're in the river or you're like it's, it's H2O that you're covered in. But this is a baptism that's talking about not only fire, but scripture says we're going to read it says tongues of fire. And it came upon them. And it's, 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 just, it's a very different baptism than, than the one that happens up there. In that, in that pool. Uh, both are good, but they're different. One is of water, and then one's of fire. John the Baptist, he baptized in water. And he was, before this day, he said, guys, I baptize y'all. I'm baptizing you guys in the River Jordan, but there's going to come someone who's better than me, and he's going to baptize y'all in something else. And he says, he's going to baptize you with fire. And I'm sure hearing it, especially, you know, before, before it happened, it probably sounded, I mean, if it sounds scary to people, now, then it probably really sounded scary to be like, who's going to baptize them? Like fire burns you. Fire, fire hurts you. But this fire is going to bring vigor. It's going to bring power. It's going to bring passion. It's going to bring resilience. It's going to bring the, be, bring the ability to do things that you cannot do without it. Um, so they said, what do we do? Peter said, repent, be baptized, uh, be baptized. And, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I love this because here is a man who arguably 20 minutes ago just received the same thing. And I think it's very cool about the kingdom of God how once you are in, you are now in position to bring others in. I don't think we realize that the same Peter that said receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, it was about 9 o'clock that morning. I guarantee you it probably hadn't been more than two hours since he received it himself. And now all of a sudden he's talking to 3,000 people saying you can receive it too. And that's, that's something very... That's, that's something very dear to my heart. You, if you've been in National Life, you've heard me. I'm all about trying to empower the person who thinks that they're not qualified, the person who doesn't think they know enough, the person who doesn't think they've, they've prayed enough. I'm telling you, once you receive the power of God, you are now in position to impart the power of God. And I can't stress that enough. That is my story. That is a story of so many others in this church. That is a story of so many people in this book uh, or the Bible. Um, so... Let's, let's keep going. So the kingdom of God, uh, as I was reading this and I was seeing how this happens, here he is. He receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he receives the fire, and now he's about to impart that to all these other people. And it showed me how the kingdom of God is, is a cycle. It's one big cycle. The kingdom of God is, is basically one beautiful cycle. And I don't mean the hamster wheel cycle where you exhaust energy and you go nowhere. I'm talking about the cycle of like sowing and reaping, the cycle of reproduction, the cycle of, of, of growth, the cycle that advances things, the cycle of, of paying it forward. Paying it forward is a cycle, but it's a cycle that goes somewhere. You know, so the kingdom of God is a cycle, but like farming, it's a cycle that goes somewhere. It progresses something. It doesn't just have you running in circles going going nowhere. And and I believe that that the cycle of the kingdom of God, if you look at the parables of Jesus when he's talking about the kingdom of God, it always points to growth. It always points to growth. And I believe that something that is healthy grows. If something is, I think growth is a sign of, of health. I think a healthy person, a healthy person grows. I think a healthy family 
grows. I think a healthy business grows. A healthy kingdom grows. A healthy plant grows. And yes, hear me when I say that a healthy church grows. And I know it's difficult because sometimes we just, our mind immediately goes to the church maybe that we grew up in that didn't grow. It's like, so are you saying it's not healthy? I don't, I'm just telling you what I'm telling you. I'm just telling you what I'm telling you. I'm not trying to uh, put anybody down. But when something's healthy, it grows. And we know we say amen to everything else on that list. But church, we get real weird about it. Think about it, guys. It applies to so many other things. And it's, it's, the evidence is here. So when you see the church that Jesus built, again, the church that Jesus built, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that he builds. And when basically the whole theme of Fight Forward, the whole theme of this, this month is I'm talking about the advancement and the growth of the church and the resistance that comes with that growth. Whenever there's growth in the people of God, if you look back from Exodus to today, whenever there is growth and expansion for the people of God, it is always, and I say always, met with resistance. And it's a supernatural spiritual resistance that if the believer is unaware of it, we'll, we'll, we'll misread the resistance as defeat when really it should be encouragement. Scripture says that resistance is something that should actually give us joy because it's an indication that we're growing. It's an indication that we're expanding and not something that means that we should just pack up and go home because it's a lost cause. Joshua and Caleb, and this is not in my notes, but Joshua and Caleb were, were two Israelites that looked at resistance as a sign that we can take them. They were the only two in their tribe that thought it. So I'm fully aware that when I preach these messages sometimes here on Sunday and let us know that we can conquer the mountains in front of us, if history repeats itself, there's a lot of people here that disagree. And, and not only did the people disagree with Joshua and Caleb, but they disagreed so much and they were so annoyed, they were so annoyed with Joshua and Caleb saying that we can take the enemy that they wanted to kill Joshua and Caleb. That's how much we can protect our comfort. That's how much we can protect our mindset to where we would rather someone who's teaching faith die than for us to change and realize that we can take the enemy. We can take the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We know that the resistance is coming. We know that we know that the spiritual uh, kingdom is trying to stop our growth, trying to stop our advancement, trying to stop our deliverance, trying to stop our success. But the Bible says that we can take heart because Jesus said with his own words, and if he says it, it's true, he says the gates of hell will not prevail. So when we sense the gates of hell, when we sense the resistance of hell, trying to stop the advancement of the church, guys, we can take heart because Jesus says, yeah, it's going to try, but it won't win. Yes. Psalms 127. Verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And the reason why I wanted to put this psalm in here is because the promise 
that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church applies to the church that Jesus builds. He says, the church that I build will be able to stand against the gates of hell. He didn't say anything about the churches that we build. The promise of the, of the, of the invincible church only applies to the church that Jesus built. So the church of this and the church of that, and the different religions, of those are churches, but they don't have that guaranteed invincible stamp that, that the church that Jesus built. So for us, it's important for us to, to really, uh, that's why the scripture says work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We, we must make sure that what it is that we're a part of is what Jesus is building. Because the tragedy of the alternative is that scripture in one, uh, Psalm shows that you can actually put forth hard work and it mean nothing. And I'm sorry, y'all, that is so unfortunate. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. To me, there's very few things more sad than, than fruitless effort. Like to actually grind and to do earnest work and it produce nothing. And according to that scripture, it is possible to build something in vain. So we take that as, again, conviction to align ourselves with what Jesus is building. And this used to confuse me as a person because I, I believe in being proactive as a believer, obviously. And, and I'm all about action. I'm like, okay, Jesus, you know, he's the builder, but, like, what am I doing? You know, it's like, I mean, do I just let him build? Like, how do I, how do, I do this? And, and I think the way I look at it and the way I think it helps make sense is, is we're in a construction situation right now with our building. Like, as far as, like, we've been a part of this, this process. And I, I've seen the infrastructure. And there's, there's a contractor, there's a main builder, but then there's all these subcontractors. And I feel like when it comes to the church, Jesus is the main builder. He's the contractor, but the believers, we're the subcontractors. So we're working, but all of our work is in accordance to everything that he's telling us to do. Uh, the materials that we use, he decides. The timeline that we do things on, he decides. What we do on Monday versus what we do on Thursday, he decides. Jesus is the builder. We're the subcontractors. And essentially, all of our work must be in accordance to what the main builder is telling us to do. And scripture says, basically, if we don't do things according to what the head contractor, the main builder, is telling us to do, our work is in vain. And I've actually seen this in our building. When certain subcontractors do things that didn't match with what Dream Inc. told them to do, not only do they not get paid, but they have to do it again. It's, it's, did they work? Yes. Did they show up? Yes. Did they leave their kids and, and spend days here? Yes. But because it wasn't in a, a agreement to what the builder told them to do, they had to do it again. That Those three days they spent were, were wasted. Those are three days that they could have been doing something else, but because it wasn't what the contractor told them to do, and it wasn't, it wasn't fruitful. So essentially, again, thank God for analogies because they help us understand. Don't be the subcontractor that is doing something differently than what the builder told you to do. Because Jesus says, I understand that you put in work, 
but it's going to be in vain. So as pastor of Nashville Life, I don't want to be a rebellious subcontractor. I don't want to do things according to my knowledge, according to my understanding. According, I want to do things according to what the main builder, Jesus, and the reason why I'm doing that is because I don't want our work to be in vain. I care about y'all's time, but honestly, I care about mine too. And the stuff, my, me being here, I want it to be worth all of our time. I don't believe in wasting your, your time. I don't believe in, if you guys are going to come out here and, and, and leave the comforts of your own home and, and fight through traffic and, and get here, God forbid it's in vain. We want everything that you guys do to be something that's going to produce something in your life. I don't want to waste your time. And according to the scripture, it's possible for your time to be wasted. So what do we do? We make sure that we stay close to what Jesus is doing and what he's telling us and how he's telling us to do it. Because otherwise, our labor is in vain. So that's why I love the day of Pentecost. Because it is a, it is a great example of the builder giving the instructions and the orders for the subcontractors or the, 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 the disciples. And, and I want us to see the importance of following the full instructions. How many moms do we have in the room? Raise your hand. I think, you, yeah, awesome, y'all. But I'm sure you guys know the value of following full instructions with your kids. You tell them to do something and they want to do a quarter of it, and it's like, that's not what I asked you to do. That's not what I told you. I told you to clean this room and that room. So, so when it comes to, to Jesus, we must make sure that we follow the full instructions. And the reason why I want us to be encouraged, because the day of Pentecost is an example of men and women who follow the full instructions. And because of it, we're going to see that the church, it was able to be built in a way that definitely shows the stamp of Jesus. Um, Acts chapter 1, 2 through 9. Acts chapter 1, verse 2 through 9. Until the day when he was taken up, this is Jesus, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, guys, Scripture says for almost six weeks, he walked around town. It wasn't like this, you know, I, it wasn't just like those supernatural visions, like he rose from the grave and I saw him in a dream. No, like he was straight up eating lunch and breakfast and dinner. He was sleeping. He was around almost six weeks, which is something we don't think about a lot. We think about him just... Raising from the dead and just going straight up. No, there were 40 days where he was straight up around. He was around just like you and me are around. The Bible says a lot of people saw him. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Can everyone say wait? wait. For the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, 
They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. Everyone say power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That happened. Again, I don't, I just only, I don't think we think about it a lot. We just don't, like, I still, 40 days in, I still would have been tripping that he's risen. I still would have been like, like, I watched you die. I watched you die. And look at you. Like, you would think nothing ever happened to you. What? I would have still been reeling over that. And then they're telling me that a cloud took them in the air? I mean, it's a wonder that they could even go on. Like, that's, and I'm, I'm, I'm painting this picture because I want you to imagine yourself. Just imagine you right now. If you saw the physical body of Jesus having already been raised from the dead, and then taken up in a cloud and disappearing. And you saw this with your own eyes. Not your spiritual eyes. Your actual human eyes. Couple of things. I would have been completely convinced that Jesus is Lord. I also would have been totally convinced that anything is possible. Those are two things I can guarantee you that if I was there, I would at least have two conclusions. One is, this guy is definitely the son of God. And, oh, man, I've seen it all. What cannot happen? So I'm saying that these disciples, these were not people who in this moment were struggling in their faith. Because an atheist would even go, I'm in. I'm in after that. I don't think these were people that were not excited. I don't think these were people who were not inspired to tell people what they just saw. I mean, we go crazy after having a delicious meal at a restaurant telling everybody what happened. Let alone if you actually saw Jesus disappear in a cloud of smoke and go into the air. You cannot tell me this was a crowd that you had to really stir up to go talk about it. I just don't buy that. I don't buy it. At the same time, despite the passion, despite the conviction, despite how sold they were that Jesus is Lord and how I'm sure willing they were to tell everybody what just happened, the instructions said to wait. If you've seen what these people saw, if you were convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is Lord, what in God's world could be a reason to still wait after seeing all that they just saw? What else could be needed? I mean, think about it. We think our issues are, Lord, I just got to have more confidence in, in sharing the gospel. I got to have more, I got to have more excitement. I got to, I just need... They had it. They had all of that, all that you can imagine. After seeing what they just saw with Jesus, yet the instructions were 
to wait. I'm really grateful that they waited. Scripture says, again, this is an inspiring story about people who follow the full instruction. Their own understanding is like, wait, the world needs to know about Jesus. Time is running out. He said he's coming soon. That's probably two weeks. They were very mistaken. But he was coming soon then. So, like, wait. I mean, talk about a momentum killer. Talk about, I mean, go but wait before you do. Wait because a promise is coming. That's why it says lean not on your own understandings. Because their own understandings will say, we're ready. We've seen him. We know he's Lord. We know the truth. We saw him ascend into heaven. He told us to go make disciples. But that wasn't the full instruction. It was wait. They waited. This is what happened. Acts chapter 1, 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room. They were saying, where where they were staying, sorry. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. All of them were up there. And they stayed in that room for what scripture says was 10 days. I don't know. I, I just want to sit there for a second. I mean, just imagine this, the restraint required to sit around. He didn't say how long it was going to take. They're waiting. They're having a prayer meeting after just watching Jesus ascend into heaven, knowing that there's a commission on their life to go and spread the gospel, go and make disciples. Yet, they waited indefinitely. Sometimes knowing it's 10 days is better. Like, who, who did the fast? Well, well, who did the fast? This past week, okay. I think it was very helpful knowing, first of all, praise God. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Great things happened from it. But that wasn't my point. My point is, it helps to know how long you have to do something. Like at 7 o'clock p.m., y'all are like, four more hours, five more hours. I can do it. Waiting is easier when you know the duration. Imagine waiting dot, dot, dot. There was no telling. There was just like, we're just supposed to be here. And then day two happens, and day three happens, and they're still in this room, and they're just praying. I don't know. I just really want to honor these disciples for their, 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 their commitment to the full instructions. They could have easily just gone rogue and said, okay, clearly, okay, he, he, God knows my heart. Let's go out and start preaching. They could have easily done that. I might have been one of them. But they didn't. They waited. Not because they didn't feel ready to go do great things for God. Not because they, they were scared. They waited because unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. They waited because unless the, contra- the head contractor, unless he signs off on it, all of this stuff that we're going to do for the Lord could very well be in vain. This probably isn't one of your favorite ways of viewing Jesus because all of us have kind of our custom-made <laughs> Jesus sometimes. Uh, 
But when it comes to his church, it's his way or no way. Jesus is as adamant about remaining the head of his church as a husband is to making sure that he watches over his wife. It's not a joke to him. He did not relinquish the headship to Peter. He didn't relinquish the headship to Paul. He's not relinquishing his headship for me, and he's not doing it for you either. Jesus is the head, and he is building his church. And it doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter how persistent we are. It doesn't matter how confident we are. If he's not building it, it's all a bust. Help us, God. So they waited. They waited. Acts 2, 1 through 7. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now... There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. That's a lot of nations. Wow, all in one city. Wow, every nation under heaven was in that city that day. Or at least representatives of it, people from, those, from, from all, every nation. Verse 6, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. Sounds about right. <laughs> It's still bewildering people today, but it's okay. Um, because each one was hearing them speak his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these people, not all these who are speaking Galileans? Like, aren't they from here? I'm from the other side of the world. How, are, how am I hearing my language through Galilean's tongue. And then the other person goes, I'm from the other side of the world. How am I hearing my language through people that are Galileans? I'm from another, I'm hearing my language too. John the Baptist prophesied, Jesus is going to come and baptize you in fire. And this is the day. 50 days. So Jesus was walking for 40 days, walking the earth for 40 days. They waited for 10, 40 plus 10, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. That fire that John prophesied about, that fire that Jesus foretold finally came. And it came, it wasn't the fire that we know that we do around a campfire, like again, like hot fire that gives you, you know, first degree, second degree burn. It was uh, fire in the form of, of tongues. It came via tongues, which is, yeah, it's just really uh, be be bewildering. And, 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 and when it came upon them, they began to speak with those tongues that the Spirit was providing. And they didn't know what they were saying. Yet other people were able to pick out and hear them exalting God. They said that they heard them glorifying the works of God. 
So even though they were speaking in this unknown tongue, it had this spirit of, of gratitude and praise and boldness, and they were declaring the works of God. Meanwhile, a very international crowd was hearing them speak, and they thought they were drunk because it was kind of weird. Um, the crowd was blown away. The crowd was blown away. Acts 2, 12 through 21. Stick with me. Y'all still good? And all were amazed and perplexed, which I think sums up speaking tongues perfectly. It's amazing and perplexing. It has held down that effect for over 2,000 years. They were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Again, sounds like us today. But others, mocking, said they were filled with new wine. So they were saying that they were drunk. But Peter, standing with the eleven lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is, I love that that was his reason. It's, it's too early to be drunk. Not the Holy Spirit's like, it's too early. No one gets drunk this early. Uh, but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's explaining what's going on, which is why I'm so about teaching. I love teaching because you got to explain what's happening. He explained what's happening. And in the last days it shall be, this is the, what the uh, prophet Joel prophesied. Uh, and in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams even on my male servants and my fem and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he wasn't done. He, kept, he was on fire. No pun intended. On fire. On fire. So since the Lord built the start of the church through the events of Pentecost, we see that the gates of hell were not able to prevail that day. Again, this is the church that Jesus built. He's contractor. He said, wait till you receive this promise. They did. They were in alignment with what the builders said to do. When the time was right, they came out, they preached, and just like Jesus promised, the church that he builds, the gates of hell, will not prevail. Peter and the disciples followed the full command of Jesus, waited to receive all they needed, and after that, they were unstoppable. Not even a crowd who spoke different languages were able to stop them from advancing. Not even a crowd of people who all spoke different languages was tough enough to stop the church from growing that day. I mean, think about it. If a crowd of different nations can't stop the church from advancing, how can a crowd of different races in one nation stop the church from advancing? 
Think about it. I, I want us to reevaluate re the things that we're looking at as legitimate roadblocks. We are honoring roadblocks that have well exceeded the power of the church and the power of God has well exceeded those roadblocks. These men were all from different nations speaking different languages and the power of the Holy Spirit was enough to still bring an altar call of over 3,000 people. And you're telling me that we in the same nation speaking the same language because our skins and colors are different, that the church is not able to conquer that? If a crowd of different nations can't stop the church from advancing, how can a church that has a crowd of different socioeconomic backgrounds stop the church from advancing? You're telling me that we all got to have the same tax bracket to be one? You're telling us we all have to grow up the same way for the church to grow through this place? If a crowd of different nations is not too hard for the gospel, how can a crowd of different political parties in one nation be enough to stop the church from advancing? The answer is it can't. In case you're wondering, it can't and it won't. The gates of hell cannot prevail the advancement and the growth of the church that Jesus is building. So I want us to reevaluate the way that we look at these challenges. Because they're, 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 they're not able to stop the mission of Jesus. And some of you guys need to be reminded of that. The enemy is using intimidation to make us think that it's just a lost cause. When the very first day of the church was a crowd, talk about mixed company, not just different races, not just different thoughts and opinions, Different whole languages. And yet, with the power of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 of them at least said, what do we need to do to be saved? I believe that we have underestimated the power of the Holy Spirit. And what better time to be reminded of its power than the day of Pentecost? I stand confident the same power that was poured on Peter has been poured out today. The same tongues of fire given to the disciples have been given to the people in this room. If we would speak with tongues of fire, I believe that fire would start. It's a fire starter. It is a fire starter. There was a time where I had to just depend on the stories in scripture to tell you that, which honestly would have been enough. But the Lord is so good that he allowed me to experience it in my own life. This church started from the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was when Trey Smith spoke in tongues and made it his life goal to make sure that everybody else did too. And dragged me around all town talking to all of our friends about this fire starter. And one by one, people came to our house and received this fire starter. And it got too big for our house. We had to go to my parents' house. And it got too big for their house. And now we're here. Right. 
This is a fire starter. It's a gift to the church. What could tongues of fire do for us today? If in one morning, 3,000 people could come to Jesus through one man who just received it, he didn't take a class. He just got it. He said, go. Let's, let's, okay. Uh, y'all just crucified our Lord and, and this, this, and this is probably, I mean, just starts talking about Joel. And, and I believe he spoke a great message, but what was accompanied with it is what did it. Paul says, man, I could say a lot of impressive things. He goes, man, but all that stuff is rubbish because without Christ and his spirit, all of it's in vain. I know it's late or later than I plan for it to be. But I, the, 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 the theme of this month is fight forward. And I really want to say this. That's why I just want to say it. Uh, fight forward, and the whole premise of today is that it's news to people that following Christ is a battle. Um, it's news to a lot of us. So when you're when you're not aware of the the resistance and the fight that the church growing uh, comes with. You'll look at scriptures like put on the full armor of God. And you're like, I mean, armor. Like some of us look at that stuff with the same significance that someone would. Imagine if you were at your house and you live like in a nice neighborhood. And good schools, whole nine, well manicured lawn. And someone comes to your house with all these weapons saying, here, here you go, here you go, I'll see you later. Here, here, here are these weapons, like a bazooka and all these things. You'd be like, the first thought would be, I don't need these things. I have ADS security. My public school system is amazing. So we would look, we would, we would be so confused at the, why would someone think that I need this bazooka and this, this rifle and these, this, this tear gas and what, why, why? That's how the church responds to the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Jesus loves me. Why do I need this? I'm forgiven of my sins. Why do I need the shield of faith? Why do I need a sword? This guy. We don't understand the nature of what we've been brought into. Yes, this is a family of God, but it's also a kingdom. And a kingdom has an offensive purpose and a defensive purpose. 
And not only are we in a war, but we're in a war of supernatural principalities that are working overtime. And if we had a, the slightest clue, if we just looked in scripture, forget clue, we have a clue, we're just not believing the clue. There's tons of clues. The scripture's full of clues. So I take that back. We don't, we don't, we're not clueless. We're actually reading the clues in our Bible studies. We're reading about this war, but we still don't buy it because the school zone and the house and the manicure lawn and the full bill of health are making us think that all this stuff is unnecessary. Our, our retirement fund, our, our two TVs, our, 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 our real estate value, all of these things are making us read the clues that are staring at us in the face every day and going, oh, that's just theoretical. That's for the people who are in Africa. Those are for the people who are demon-possessed. Those are for the people. If we had the slightest clue of the war that we are in, there is not a single person that would turn down any extra gift, any extra asset, any extra weapon. Now, 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 now change the setting. Change the setting from the nice house to an actual war zone. Change your mind. Use your imagination. Now we're, now we're actually in the middle of a war. Like imagine like just Vietnam. Imagine all the stuff happening. And that same person comes to your doorstep with a bazooka, with a rifle. You would go, thank you, God. God is real. Thank you, Jesus. I needed this. The weapons and the gifts and all the embellishments and all the enhancements and all the upgrades that Jesus has given us, we have been deceived that we don't need them. Jesus says it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Not because money is bad, but it sets a deceptive reality that we are not at war. So when Jesus says, here, Alvin, here is a whole life supply of weapons and gifts, I go, oh, cool. And I put it in storage for a day when I'll really need it instead of going, oh, man, I need it right now. Guys, the kingdom of God has a mission to advance. This gift isn't what was qualified, wasn't needed for Peter to be saved. He was saved. But you tell me, raise your hand if you're saved. Praise God. Ooh, I love it. When you stand, and speak the gospel, what actually allows that response of all those people saying, what do we do? That wasn't just the fact that he was forgiven. He had power. He had the ability to cut through arguably the most difficult, stubborn thing in the world, and that is the heart of a human being. I mean, our hearts are so complicated. They're just caked on with regret and shame, and resentment, and bitterness, and secrets, and bad memories, and fears, 
and just caked on. And the Holy Spirit had a, the ability to cut to where good vibes couldn't cut. Where, where a smile couldn't cut. Where a hug couldn't cut. Only the Holy Spirit has the ability to cut people to the heart to where they want to be saved. And that power came when the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured on the day of Pentecost. I'm going to ask us all to stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for you to uh, convict us. Holy Spirit, bring the conviction that, that wakes us up to what life is, what life really is. And as the kingdom of God and as the body of Christ, um, Lord, your word says that 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 there's a war there's a war happening and that there is resistance to us advancing and us progressing as believers as a, as individuals and as a collective lord um help us not to be uh complacent about that help us not to be complacent about the the battle that you are making it very clear that we're in. Um, forgive us, Lord, um, for, for dis discounting ourselves as being a, a part of your plan to save the lost. Lord, I think ultimately this is about the people who you love who don't know you yet. And there's so much resistance to people in our lives who don't know Jesus for coming to Jesus. And if the story was over there, it'd be so sad because we would just have to say, man, there's resistance and they just don't come and they just won't come and they, they just, they're just not going to be saved. And it'd be, it'd be a really sad story. But your word today reminds us that you have given us power. You have given us power through the Holy Spirit. And with that power, we have the ability to conquer the resistance in the lives, against the lives of people that need to know you. It's more than just busy at 2 p.m. It's more than that. It's more than just, I'm busy, I can't make it. There is a spiritual resistance that it takes the power of God to break through. So I present us, on behalf of this church, I present us as a group of people who care that people are perishing outside these doors. Lord, I, I pray and present ourselves as people who see ourselves as the church that you are building not just some church, but a church that you are building. And we know that any church that you are building is meant to advance and win the lost. Your word says that every family of the earth will be blessed through what you're building. Or you promised it to Abraham and now it's for the church. We are called to win this entire city. But it takes power. 
It takes that power that Peter had. So we receive that power right now. It's been poured out, and we receive it. And for those of us who have received it, we take it off the shelf, we pull it out of the attic, we pull it out of the storage, and we receive it as something that is needed right now. Right now for the kingdom of God. It is needed right now. It is needed right now for tomorrow. It's needed right now. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the fire, the tongues of fire, they are needed right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for bringing the conviction. And Lord, I just pray that we would be able to uh, repeat similar results of what we see in Acts 2 to where when we speak under the power of the Holy Spirit that the people in our lives will say, tell me what to do next. And we will tell them to repent. We will tell them to be baptized. We will tell them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because this is a cycle that was intended to continue until you return. And you haven't returned yet, so the cycle is still on. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to offer two things. First, salvation. you got to receive Jesus. For those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord, he's the giver of all the stuff that I'm talking about. You must be reconciled with him, and it's through your reconciliation to him that he will be able to pour out everything else. So... Repeat this prayer after me to receive salvation. Everyone say it together. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Hallelujah. Now, salvation was what happened when the 3,000 came to the Lord. That was salvation. That's huge. This next part I'm talking about is the part that Peter received for them to receive salvation. So the, the, Jesus is what saves you. Baptism of the Holy Spirit does not save you. The blood of Jesus saves you. Jesus saves you. However, the power of the Holy Spirit is what makes you effective so that others can be saved. And I, I believe that with all my heart. All my heart. Um, if you said yes to Jesus, let us know. Text yes to Jesus to 77411. It's a number right here. We want to know that you've been saved. Um, we want to celebrate with you. We've got next steps after service. So please come to 104 if you want to learn more about the church. Um, if you want to give, the finance team is right here. We can give on the way out. Um, but I wanted the altar team to come down. And this next part after we dismiss is if you want to Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, specifically in the way that I just described. Tongues of fire. 
If you want to incorporate tongues of fire into your life, if you want to incorporate uh, speaking in tongues and 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 in, in your intercession and your ability to pray, to build the Bible says you build up your most holy faith. I could talk about it all day. It's not until you have to, not until it happens that you really know. I mean. I could talk about it all day, but it, it's not nothing like stepping over and doing it. When I say it's a it's a it's a fire starter, it is a fire starter, and it has sustained my fire for over a decade now. Um, so I'm gonna dismiss all of you. I love you. God bless you. But I also want for those who want to take that step. Now you don't have to do it down here, but it's it's just uh, I'm offering it to you. Because it's, it, it, can, it can encourage you. You might have questions. I don't know. Uh, so God bless everybody, Father. Bless them, Lord. Uh, protect them all. And, Lord, uh, allow those who, who want to come down to come and receive prayer. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Sunday. I love you. And the altar's open. I'll be down here for a few minutes.